You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Happy sixth week of Easter tide. Yes, Easter is still rolling on. Will it ever end? I hope it doesn't. In fact, it doesn't actually. But the season of Easter tide for the church will end, and it comes to a, a culmination in the season of Pentecost, but let's not jump ahead. Last week, Peter's vision revealed to us who God is at work in. And we draw these boundary lines of like, well, he's certainly not at work in the lives of Gentiles, right? And we found out actually he is. What a surprise. This week, we, uh, we look at Paul's vision, his invitation to Macedonia, and realize something else, something about when God is at work. Surely God isn't at work in those kind of moments that maybe we draw another line and say, you know, he's only involved when we're like wearing robes and waving incense, right, and chanting psalms. He's only at work and present when like the priest is around or something. I don't know. We, we don't think that. But, you know, we have those sacred moments where we think, this is when God's at work in my life. Not in these times. Well, actually, God is redrawing even those boundary lines in surprising ways in our lives. And I, I hope that I think if you get it, it might creep you out a little bit. It might make you a little feel a, a little bit like maybe you don't have as much privacy as you thought. Maybe he is even at work in your life and present in those mundane moments of life. When I read this story, um, every time I read this story about this Macedonian vision, this man in Macedonia, um, I think of this really serene moment that I had when Michelle and I were traveling on this medical mission trip to Albania, and I, I went out to the outskirts of town outside of this little poor village to sit in this field and to read the Bible and pray and say, Lord, speak to me. What an amazing place. And in the vision was the Macedonian mountains. You could see them. And I, re I recall thinking, Oh, how, how incredible that Paul would get this vision to go and preach the gospel to those people in Macedonia. How wonderful. Um, you maybe have had spiritual moments like that where you're like, this is awesome, right? God is present, super special. As I was walking back into town, I was attacked by a wild dog. <laughs> and the whole neighborhood watched. They didn't help me. And so I took my backpack off and I'm swinging at it, this wild dog who's like trying to take chunks out of my leg. And, I'm, and, and immediately I'm out of that like sacred space. That moment is gone, right? And I'm just being attacked. And these Albanians, they, they watch it like sport, like this happens all the time. And they're probably a little gratified that it's happening to an American. I don't know. Well, we tend to read, I tend to read the Bible, and maybe you can relate. I tend to read the Bible in ways that look for those super special sacred moments at God's work, his activity. And kind of unwittingly or accidentally assume that God maybe isn't as involved in those less sacred moments. Maybe when uh, kids are crawling all over you and you've got piles of laundry and you're not sure how you're gonna pay the bills or you have struggles and messes in your life that are just kind of everywhere you look in life, it's, it's struggle, it's challenge, it's a mess. There's no serene moments in the everyday life for some of us. But God isn't just involved in our lives when we have things together, he's involved in our life when wild dogs chase us. And we think, what the heck is up with this? When life just doesn't go our way, when coworkers are jerks. Can you imagine God's at work even in, in that? When people sue us, come after us, they want a piece of something out of us. Can you imagine that God is 
actually at work. That's not a boundary line that God cannot cross and be at work in. Peter was wrong about who God works in. Maybe we're wrong about when God is at work. Maybe we're looking in the wrong times and in the wrong places. But if we read the Bible with both eyes open, wide open, we'd notice that God is actually involved in our not-so-obvious moments, in the mundane, the really plain, unsexy, uninteresting times in our life. God's actually really present and at work. In those in-between moments, like when we wake up and we're in between the alarm clock and showing up to church, you know, those in-between moments where we're like, we just got to get there so we can be in the presence of God. Guess what? He's there too in those in-between moments. Even when you're trying to wrangle kids and get the kinks out of your shirt and all that stuff that just always goes wrong on Sunday mornings, God's actually present. So what does that mean? Why would he want to be present in, in things that are just so regular in our lives? That's a good question. We're going to answer that today, looking at what Paul's vision. He had this, this, this vision, kind of like Peter had that dream. Paul had this vision that was in Acts 11. This is in Acts 16. Um, and, and what Paul saw was this man who stood in front of him from Macedonia, pleading to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Please come. But check this out. If you read the story, when Paul sets sail and goes to Macedonia and he arrives... He wasn't greeted by this man from his vision. In fact, he was kind of wandering around town to town, noticing that the Spirit said, don't go there, go here. And there wasn't really much else in the story in Acts then that we would say, wow, check that out, that's the work of God. Paul was just being obedient and like kind of wandering around. He didn't even meet this man from his vision that surely you would like meet the guy, right? But by the time this story got told, by the time this story got written in Scripture, it actually didn't even really involve a man from Macedonia at all. Nothing like what maybe Paul anticipated. In fact, what's so surprising is that this story gets super interesting in the most mundane moment in this whole story. Paul, sitting around waiting for the Lord to lead him, to tell him something, to do something, and then Sabbath rolls around, and he's got to go outside the city gates to find a place to pray, like you do every Sabbath. And he found God already at work in one woman, Lydia. No one of, like, super reputation or repute or, like, I mean, she, she dealt in purple fabric, so maybe she was a little wealthy, but she, and people knew that she was a God-fearing woman, but there wasn't really anything special about Lydia. She was just a God-fearing woman. In verse 14, it says, a certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of, however you say this word, Theatera, all these words are, see, I even have problems with this, and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. This, this line is just kind of buried in these details about who this woman is. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. You can picture this scene, right? Paul's out on the outskirts of town just outside the gate, and he's talking. Who knows? He's probably preaching or teaching something. And this woman was just sitting there listening. And the Lord opened her heart to listen even more eagerly, to open up more than she was capable of opening up to what it is that Paul was actually saying to her. And this is where it gets nuts. She believed it. 
And then the, the scriptures just kind of hop to the next sentence, and she was baptized. And in fact, her whole household was baptized. The whole gang was baptized because she was there listening, and God opened her heart and did something incredible. It gets even more interesting. The most amazing, mundane thing happened in this woman's life. When God opened her, she couldn't help herself but open herself to others. She opened her home. And in fact, when, the, when the, she, she kind of like argued with the apostle saying, I'm not going to take no for an answer. You're going to come stay at my house because of what God has done in my life. Did you notice that in this passage in, in Acts, there was no huge stone temple of the presence of God that God needed to mediate his activity, his presence in people's lives. There wasn't a stone temple. It wasn't like a special ritual that we're just praying. There wasn't any hocus pocus. There wasn't any special words here. Paul wasn't wearing like special robes or he was wearing street clothes, I'm sure, or something, whatever he was wearing to be comfortable. It wasn't Lydia's good behavior. It wasn't Paul's good behavior. Or it wasn't Paul's higher education or Lydia's economic success. None of those factors actually played into why this happened. Those are just kind of like the peripheral details. Let me tell you about who was involved. Oh yeah, this is what was going on in their life. It was only a very, very small and humble opening in Paul's life and in Lydia's life. Paul's obedience to see this vision and say, yeah, okay, Lord, I'm going to go. Lydia's small act of just being present and listening. And it's in those small little openings in both of their lives that we notice the presence of God profoundly at work. It wasn't anything really special. It was just an opening, just an opening. If we pray like the psalmist for God to turn his face to us, his infinitely gracious and attentive gaze on our lives, if we invite that view of God on us, then be prepared for his presence and his activity. That's a small way that we can create that opening, that, that willingness to be in the sight of God, to invite that kind of presence and activity. It doesn't really take much. You notice it doesn't say, the psalmist doesn't say, I will go to seminary and then I will call upon the Lord. No, it just says, Lord, make your face shine upon me. Turn your attention to me, God. I need your help. And when he does, nothing's the same. The entire earth returns in worship and glory and praise just because of the psalmist's little opening, this invitation in his life. And God doesn't just come in and hear our prayer, or he didn't come to Lydia and just kind of sort out her, her like P&L or something for her business, you know what I'm saying? He came into her life and made a home among her to such an extent that she could not keep that home closed. She had to open that home to other people, even to Paul. Be prepared when you create that opening, when you're willing to be open to the Lord, that he comes not to just fix you, but he actually comes to live with you to fill you, to be with you. That's the point. Be prepared to relearn what you actually depend on day to day for your sense of security and self-worth. That light in your life that you look to and go, yeah, that's, that's what keeps me going. That light will be replaced by the light of God. You won't need the sun anymore. You won't need your reputation at work or your paycheck anymore. That, 
is never going to be a light that will satisfy you. And when God comes to dwell with you, those lights look super dim and kind of cheesy and worthless. We see this in the Revelation reading. When God comes to dwell with people, there's, there's no need for another light source. And in fact, all of creation comes alive and we get to see it for what it really is. That's what happens to our life when we invite God to, to dwell with us, to live with us. We get to see life as it really is, illuminated, filled with his presence. And I know that um, some of us will hear that and think, okay, that's cool, Sean. Someday my life will be like that. Maybe when I'm dead, we go to heaven or something. Things will be good. Did you not just hear what happened in Acts, though? Have you not been following with us in the book of Acts about the way that God isn't just storing up for us a future, but that future is bleeding in, breaking into the present now, that our lives can live with him and it can come to life today. Like actually today we can live in the light of God and in his presence. His face can be pointed at us. We can be the recipients of his presence and his attention. That takes a lot of grappling with. Me personally, when I hear that, I think, I know that's true, but in those in-between moments, in the mundane, like, what does that look like? To live in this enchanted view of God's presence, close by, filling us, animating, what does that, what does that actually look like? It's a lot easier said than done. And so for me, I have this tendency to take that idea and then to put it on a shelf, you know, file it with all my other theological books and say, that's interesting. I'll come back to that later because I have no idea what to do with that, you know. But I, at the same time, I still have this hunger. I know I need God's help. Cue Jesus now. Now, just before we even jump into what Jesus says, consider this. Um, do we think Jesus is intelligent? Do we think he's competent? Like, think about this seriously. Do we think he actually knows what he's talking about? When he gives us things, when he says things to us, is he just giving us religious rhetoric, a pat on the back, something to comfort us? Or is he actually leading us because he is competent in the way of life? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Does, do we really think that he knows what he's saying when he says that? And not just some later life, but this life. This is the life we have right now. Now, if we think Jesus is intelligent, he's competent in leading our actual life, now, I want you to hear these words that he says in that context, okay? Now, think about this. This is in John 14, 26. Jesus promises to give us the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he says. He will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Wow. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, to teach us. And when we forget, when we, when we wander, to remind us, like a shepherd's staff to kind of pull us back into the herd, into his presence. You may have heard this before, but the way we act doesn't tend to reflect, I think, at least in my own life, that a belief in this, right? I operate functionally on an everyday kind of basis, without a dependency on this advocate, this Holy Spirit, that Jesus, in his clear mind, for our everyday lives, gives us. I don't tend to operate dependent on the Spirit. 
you'll hear things in our heads like, well, I don't need the Spirit of God. I'm not going through anything super tough right now, so I don't need the Spirit of God right now. Maybe, maybe when I'm struggling, maybe when I'm like really searching and in need or I'm afraid, that's when I'll need the Spirit of God. But I'm good right now, Sean. I'm good. We don't need the advocate and teacher. I can read the Bible for myself and just figure it out and then fix myself. I don't need to ask the Spirit to speak to me. I could just read the Bible by myself. And you should read the Bible, but that's ridiculous. And if something comes up that I'm not sure about, I'll just, you know what, I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. I've gotten this far. I'll figure it out. I don't need the Spirit of God that Jesus in his right mind is saying, you need this because you're going to forget things and wander around and break stuff and hurt yourself and hurt other people. You're going to need this. Here's the Holy Spirit. We say functionally, we wouldn't say this out loud, but really in the way we live, we say, oh, we're good. We're doing just fine. But if Jesus is smart, if he's intelligent, he is probably aware that at some point we're going to unlearn what he's taught us. We're going to forget what he's taught us. And not because we don't like him or we don't think it's important, but we just, we just forget. We're just sheep sometimes, you know? We just forget. And our own resources, our own ways of living, it just won't cut it. When the going gets tough, we will need the Spirit of God to breathe life on us again, to inflate our lungs again, to fill us again. We will actually need that. And not just when things get tough, but friends, daily, we need this. Someone asked me one time, they said, oh, I'm going to be uh, speaking about what if the Holy Spirit didn't exist? What, what, would that, what would life be like? And my response was like, if the Holy Spirit didn't exist, you wouldn't have a talk to give. Like there would be no life to talk about. He sustains us and fills us, not in just basic ways, but in those ways that we are desperately in need of to continue to follow Jesus and to live in the fullness and the presence of God. And I think some of us may be a little concerned that when we receive the Spirit, we're talking about receiving superpowers or something, some sort of special gifts. Yes, the presence of the Spirit has effects, okay? It's a real deal. But really plainly, can we just say that receiving the Holy Spirit is the receiving of an eternal life that begins now, a life that is more determined by God's presence and provision than anything else in our life. Receiving the Holy Spirit is just receiving what we depend on to live with the presence of God. It's a kind of life Jesus gives in his spirit. And this is what he says in verse 27. This is, this is the kind of life This is the kind of thing that Jesus is giving us in his spirit. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. How wonderful it is, y'all, that Jesus didn't give us a podcast when he left. Or like something that's like like just a bumper sticker, kind of inspirational, like see y'all later, peace out. I'm going to go be with the Father. Y'all got this. Subscribe to my podcast. And I got a YouTube channel. You'll be all right. How amazing it is that Jesus, even in his leaving, never left, but freely gives his spirit to fill your life so that you don't have to travel to where Jesus is on the map somewhere, but he is always present to you. His face can be shined upon you, not in just those special Sunday moments, but in those everyday, mundane moments of your life. Jesus is present in his spirit to help you. How great is it 
And this is like really good news that Jesus doesn't just give us a law. He doesn't set a set of expectations on us and say, unless you keep this, you're no good to me. Unless you do this right, then I'll, gi- then I'll give you the spirit once you qualify. Jesus doesn't give the way the world gives. He doesn't keep tally. He doesn't make us jump to a certain expectation. He comes to help us. He comes radically generous to pour out his love upon us, to rescue us to himself. He gives us not some sort of like poor prophet or some sort of like artifact of who he is, something secondary to who he is. He gives us himself. Nothing else will do. He gives us his presence. He gives us a peace that only he has that surpasses all of our understanding and our categories and our explanations for life. Jesus gives us his own peace to fill our lives. Jesus gives us the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't say, well, well, you know, things will be okay. He deals with our sin head on. When we come and ask for forgiveness, he lightens our load, he relieves us, he absolves us, healing and forgiving. Friends, this is the life that Jesus breathes upon you. Are you open to it? That's all I wanna ask you this morning. Are you open to it? It doesn't take much, but an openness, a small, small opening. Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I see you. Lord, I notice. Or God, I don't notice and I need you to turn your attention to me. All God needs is a small opening, a willingness, and he'll pour out his saving work in our lives. There's a bodily posture that we have when we come to the altar that expresses this openness and you're welcome to do this. Have you all noticed when I put my hands like this up at the altar? Whenever I'm praying, this is a position, it's called Orans, and I'm in this position. When I'm like this, I'm talking to you or I'm like saying something. But when I like turn my back on you like this, no offense, or I put my hands like this, all of a sudden we are addressing God. And this hand position isn't just some sort of like ceremonial thing, it has theological content for us. It is a discipline that says, body, be open to the Spirit of God. This is the position of Mary when she heard the news of what God was up to in her life. And in fact, anytime you look at an icon of Mary in in Christian history, you will see wings beside her or her arms like this in an open Oran's position. This position, like a lot of other bodily positions that we're going to take on in just a few minutes, being on our knees, coming forward to receive a meal in our hands, maybe even closing our eyes, but just with our body leading our lives, our souls into this position of openness to the Spirit of God can be such a helpful way of drawing yourself into this promise of Jesus to give you his peace, to send his spirit to fill you this morning. I pray as we come to the altar, would God find us open? Just a small opening. And not in your like spiritual life, but in, in, in the rest of your life where you actually need God's help. Imagine going to work, being open like this. Even maybe with you, I do this. I've done this before out in public. Lord, I need your help. I'm going to put my hands or hold my hands open like this just to soul be open, open up. The spirit of God is at work. Lord, help me notice. May God find us open as he comes to fill us now. Let's pray as we come to the altar and prepare. Come Holy Spirit, find us open. Speak to us. Fill us with your peace, we pray. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.